please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. I'll only be saying that two more times. Matthew's Gospel, the last chapter, chapter 28, if you need a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. Go to the back, they renumber the New Testament. Find page 25, the bottom of page 25. You'll find Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we're gonna do the first 15 verses this morning. Excuse me, 16 to 20 next Sunday, and then I'm gonna do two messages in the book of Obadiah. And then I'm taking three Sundays off. And Ward's gonna preach for you. (laughs) Nah, just kidding. (laughs) Now I got Jason Drum, he's coming the 20th and the 27th. And then Roy Augustine from Northwest Community Church, he's coming October 4th. So he'll be here, take some time off. But I thought it'd be fun, because uh, I was like, oh, I'm finishing Matthew. I was like, what can I do? I was like, I know, I'll do the book of Obadiah. Nobody's ever preached that before. You ever heard a message on Obadiah? I haven't. Two messages, it's like, it takes you like less than three minutes to read. So it'd be fun. I mean, it's like, it's about judgment, so I don't know if that's fun. But anyways, uh, it'll be good, though. It'll be good for us to get a good, uh, my goal is to give you a good understanding in our messages on Sundays uh, where you have a good understanding of, of uh, different books of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. I enjoy doing the Old Testament. After I do Obadiah, when I get back, my plan is to do First Timothy. I'm going to do 1 Timothy. I just think it would be appropriate. Um, uh, how church is supposed to be done type of thing. That's First Timothy. So there's some information for you. Maybe you didn't plan on having that, but there you go. That's for free. Matthew chapter 28, I'll read verses 1 through 15. And after the Sabbath, as it was dawning towards the first of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the grave. And behold, a great earthquake came for an angel of the Lord. Having descended from heaven and coming, he rolled away the stone and he sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garments as white as snow. And out of fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. And answering, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen, just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you into Galilee, there you will see him, behold, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples and look, Jesus met them and said, hello. And coming up to him, they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and take word to my brothers that they may leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Verse 11, as they were going, look, some of the guard coming into the city, they reported to the chief priests all that had come. Having assembled together with the elders, they formed a plan. Given a large sum of money to the soldiers, they said, you are to say his disciples coming by night, they stole him away while we were asleep. And if this is heard by the governor, we will win him over 
and make you stay out of trouble. Verse 15, and taking the money, they did as they had been instructed. And the story was widely spread among Jews to this day. As humans, we have an insatiable desire to see the bad guys lose and the good guys to win. I mean, the, the bad guys can't win. I mean, it just, just doesn't happen that way. No, 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 no. It's not supposed to be like that, right? We want vindication, things to be made right, we want justice. And we enjoy the thrill of it. It's almost the thrill of the bad guys seem to be losing and yet we know, or at least we think we know, in the back of our heads, no, they're going to lose. Uh, finally, when the bad guy, they finally get his. When Sauron is finally destroyed, when the Wicked Witch of the West, right, is it what? She gets melted with water, right? I'm melting. When Thanos blows away and becomes dust. Our culture doesn't want the bad guy to win. The good guy always wins in the end. We want justice to be served and all the wrongs made right. And you know what? It's because it's built into us by God. He created us that way because that's how it's going to be. And you get a tiny glimpse of this with Jesus who's finally vindicated. You really see Matthew's theme come out, bow down and worship Jesus. Part of how I came up with this theme was from these very verses. That's exactly what the women did. They bowed down, they worshiped Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the judge of the world, and who is the resurrected Lord. He is the resurrected Lord, Messiah, Son of God, King of Israel, judge of the world, resurrected Lord. That's who he is. Bow down and worship Jesus, the resurrected Lord. I mean, think about it. Matthew's been setting this, setting us up, setting this up for us the whole time. Betrayal, false accusation, humiliation, denial, injustice, mocked forsaken death buried and then guards posted at his tomb after all of this Jesus the Messiah was finally vindicated by being resurrected from the dead things are made right Jesus the Messiah was finally vindicated by being resurrected from the dead. Notice, if you would, these different statements that I have up here on the screen for you. He was raised by the Father. He completed 
our salvation. He modeled the biblical theme of sacrificial living. He gives hope to our own resurrection and reward. He will come to judge us all. He is totally victorious, so he should be believed, obeyed, and worshipped. These are all the benefits that come to us because of the resurrection of Jesus. The Father was the one who raised him. Our salvation is finally complete. That model of suffering where your suffering Christian will not be in vain. It ends in exaltation. Or now we have the hope of our own resurrection. The hope of our own reward. And then we know now Jesus, the resurrected one, as Paul says in Acts 17, he will judge the living and the dead. And he's victorious. That's why he should be believed. That's why he should be obeyed. This is why he should be worshipped. He's God. Don't believe the lies espoused about the resurrection lies where he did not raise, was not raised, or that the disciples came and stole his body. No, worship Christ the Lord, who truly resurrected from the dead, conquering death, sin, and eternal hell. You know, Matthew doesn't explain the resurrection of Jesus, he just announces it. This part of Matthew's gospel is not about how Christ rose is about how his resurrection was discovered. And you'll see the focus is on the empty tomb, uh, the announcement to the women, and the meeting of the disciples in Galilee, uh, along with the saga of the false story that was promulgated. Who were witnesses to the resurrection? Well, the Father, because he was the one who raised Jesus from the dead. You'll see that, the passives, passive verbs that are used. The angel who announced the news. The empty tomb itself testifies. We'll see these faithful, loyal women. The earthquake, the stone being rolled away. And, but yet also, two unlikely group of persons were witnesses to the resurrection. The guards, one writer put it like this, they were, quote, unintentional evangelists. They liked it. Unintentional, that's good. They were evangelists, unintentional though. But you know what? The bad guys too. The bad guys of the gospel. The religious leaders. Ironically, their actions would testify to the resurrection. As I've been studying through Matthew's gospel, David Turner's commentary has been phenomenal. It's just a few things I might disagree with, but his commentary on Matthew was just unbelievable. It's been very helpful to me and very concise too. David Turner. And in his commentary on this about the resurrection of Jesus, he gave different points that show the importance of Christ's resurrection. I gave you the positives. I'm going to switch this how he put it in his commentary to the negatives. In other words, I'll put it like this. He says, without the physical resurrection of Jesus, there would be no endorsement from the Father. 
No vindication, no victory, no affirmation. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, there'd be no belief or obedience to Jesus. Instead, Jesus would be pitted, pitied, excuse me, uh, um, shamed, scorned even. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, there'd be no way to be saved from our sins or from eternal judgment. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, there'd be no apostolic foundation for the church. Without his resurrection, there'd be no completed model of sacrificial living because Jesus really is the complete total model of the theme of biblical revelation. There's suffering and exaltation. You see it in Genesis, you see it in Exodus, you see it all throughout the Old Testament. There's suffering, exaltation, suffering, exaltation, and you see it glorified, this is a type of what would happen in Messiah. He was the epitome of suffering and then being exalted. You you would not have that. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, there'd be no ultimate day of reckoning, no final judgment guaranteed. There'd be no hope for our own resurrection, no hope for our own reward. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, there'd be no complete understanding of Jesus' death for sinners. And without the physical resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' whole life ends in total defeat. And we're defeated too. As Paul says, we're most to be pitied. In 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, what's the point? You're still dead in your sins. So then he did the negative. I'd give you the, I'd put it on a positive way. It's more happy. But this is true. This is from David Turner. He turned these into positive things. This is what we have because of Jesus' resurrection. So, and I'll put this, if you're trying to write this out, I'll put this on the screen later on. Let's walk through the text together. First notice, Jesus was raised, the vindicated, resurrected Lord, verses 1 through 10. And after the Sabbath, Saturday, light dawned on the first day of the week, Sunday. The main reason why we come together on Sundays, because of Jesus resurrected on Sunday. Notice Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the grave. Remember the two women from chapter 27? They knew where the grave was. They didn't get the wrong grave. They knew the exact location. They weren't. Uh, so overcome with fear and, and weeping and everything like that, they didn't go to the wrong grave, no. And then verse 2, and look, Matthew says, a great earthquake came for angel of the Lord having descended from heaven and coming, he rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Well, what's the sequence? Specifically, you know, Matthew doesn't bother with those details. Like, uh, how did the earthquake happen? Maybe because the angel rolled the stone away? That's when the earthquake happened? Uh, the women, they came and they found the actions they already occurred? Uh, maybe they saw the stone being rolled away by the angel? Matthew doesn't tell us. He's not concerned about that stuff. And keep in mind, the stone 
was enrolled away to let Jesus out. Let me out, let me out. Come on, guys, isn't that funny? It was to show the women and the others that the resurrection left the tomb empty so that the women and others could go in and see it was empty and there was no body there. We get a glimpse of these amazing looking beings. Verse three. His appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. Like lightning. White as snow. You know what's interesting about this? Matthew's gospel begins and ends with an angelic announcement. You notice that? Matthew chapter one, the angel came. And remember what he said to Joseph? Angel came, he said, for he's gonna save his people from their sins. The focus is on both instances is on Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is gonna save his people from their sins and the resurrection shows how he's gonna do that. He resurrected from the dead. Verse four the guards, they saw what happened. It scared the bejeebies out of them. Notice, they fainted. They became like dead men, like a bunch of dead guys. Uh, the guards were overwhelmed with great fear so that it paralyzed them. And they knew what they saw. All of them saw it together, not just one or two. And when they became conscious, because they went unconscious, they found the tomb was empty. The guards shook out of fear, and rightly so. The women were also fearful, but notice the angel was there to minister to them. Notice verse 5, answering the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. He wanted to announce to them the good news. He knew they were afraid, but the angel's goal was to tell them about Jesus and, and, and help them. Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. You see Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen. Notice the passive verbs. It was done to him. Matthew's trying to make a point to us. It was the Father. The Father raised Christ from the dead. He has risen, notice the last uh, middle part of verse 6, just as he said. Jesus had been predicting this the whole time of his earthly ministry. I put the verses up there, 12, 40, 16, 21, 17, 9, 23, chapter 20, chapter 26, verse 32. This is not out of the blue. This is not, oh, sounds like a good idea. Maybe I should resurrect from the dead. This was the plan the whole time. This is why they should not have been surprised at this. Just, just, just like he told you. Don't you remember? And then notice the end part of verse 6. Come. See the place where he was lying. Come. He invited the women to look into the tomb and see for themselves. Because this wasn't something to be kept as a secret, friends. It's for all the world to see. Don't keep it as a secret. Tell the people, his own people, 
Tell the whole world what's happened to Jesus. He's resurrected from the dead. Notice his command, verse 7. And go, quickly, quickly go and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before them, before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Jesus also predicted he visit his disciples in Galilee after he was raised. Chapter 26, verse 32. Remember he said that? So these women should go and tell the 11 he was raised and that he would appear to them in Galilee. Tell those deserters that he'd restore them as his disciples again. Remember, notice he says, tell his disciples. Well, you could have said his, those deserters. No, tell his disciples again. You know what gave further testimony? What gives further testimony to the truth of the resurrection was the fact that these women were the first witnesses to it. And not just to the empty tomb and the angelic witness, but also to the resurrected Jesus, which we'll see in just a moment. It's striking how God did this. Remember, we've talked about this before. Don't think of 21st century type thing. Think first century Judaism, women. But God instead allows them to be the first ones, not the disciples. The women were the first ones to see Jesus. The women were the first ones to hear the announcement of his resurrection. And notice what happens, verse 8. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They're running away with fear, but they're unbelievably jumping for joy. They're like freaking out, panicking that this was not the time to panic, but it was for them. They were stoked, but they were fearful. And yet, unfortunately, it was Jesus' disciples who had to wait until Galilee to see him, but not these women. Notice what happens here, verse 9. And look, Matthew says, Jesus met them. And literally, it's, and he said, hello. He appeared to them, greeting them. And notice their response. The end of verse 9. And coming up, they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Their response was one of worship. Their faces to the ground and arms stretched out in humility, grasping at Jesus' feet. Wow! Wow, he's really here! This is the only appearance of Jesus in Jerusalem. And it was to these women. And to take hold of his feet was an act of homage and it's symbolically, they're recognizing his kingship. He really is the king of Israel. Plus, he really had feet. He wasn't some ghost floating. This resurrected, risen body is a real physical body. It is. He had feet. They worshiped him. You don't worship anyone but God. Every Jew knew that. So the only way to explain Jesus being worshiped was he's God. 
That's the only way to explain it. Matthew had the correct view of Christ in his gospel. He is the Son of God. He is deity. Apparently they were afraid of what happened. They're just, just, just in fear, joy. Notice Jesus, verse 10, he said to them, don't be afraid. He assured them to stay the course. Don't be afraid. Go and take word. Notice it says, go tell my brothers. My, go tell my brothers a term to show his love and patience for their desertion of him. Jesus graciously and forgivingly welcomed back the prodigals. Take word to my brothers uh, and that they may go to Galilee and there they will see me. He graciously and forgivingly welcomed back these prodigals and he graciously and forgivingly welcomes anyone to come to him and believe in him. You hear and you need to know Jesus. He welcomes you. He forgivingly welcomes you. He forgives you of all your sins. Come, trust Christ. Turn from your sin and put your hope in Jesus Christ. Not in anything else, not anyone else. God should judge you and condemn you because you are a sinner. But God welcomes you through Jesus. Come. He's gracious. The heart of this gospel, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the judge of the world, the resurrected Lord who gave his life. The heart of the gospel is not merely the death of our Lord, but the glorious truth of his resurrection. As you just sang a few moments ago, Christ has risen, he's risen indeed. The vindicated resurrected Lord, he was raised. Ah, but then you have the lies that are circulated. Skulldudgery. Another word to use. I like that. That's a cool word. When's the last time I heard that? Skullduggery. That's a skullduggery. You sound like so prestigious when you say that. How deep does unbelief go? How deep can unbelief go? It goes to great depths. Even someone Raised from the dead makes no difference. This is why we believe in what's theologically called irresistible grace. Only God draws people to himself. Even a person resurrected from the dead will not save anybody. Jesus said that in Luke 16. If they, do not, they have the law and the prophets, if they will not listen to law and the prophets, they will not listen to someone raised from the dead. Jesus knew that because here's an example. <laughs> the very hoax these religious leaders were trying to prevent was the very hoax they would excessively and fraudulently put out. And the very truth of the resurrection, they would try to silence. They, they would try to ensure this. Notice verse 11. Now where they're going on their way, the women, they're like running. Look, Matthew says. Some of the guard coming into the city reported to the chief priests all that came. 
These were the Roman soldiers. We figured out that last week these were Roman soldiers, but only some of them went back to the religious leaders to tell them what happened. Well, now the guards became unintentional evangelists. But the hearers didn't like the news. And they'd make sure this didn't get out. My question is, what happened to the others? Ever thought about that? It says some. So where's the other guys? Where'd they go? Matthew doesn't tell us. Notice what happens here at verse 12. Assembling with the elders, they formed a plan. So, and by the way, it's the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the elders, they met together, and all these, these the religious leaders, and they concocted the hoax, which they were still trying to avoid. That's the irony. Only an act of God can cause a person to believe in the truth, but they're going to explain away the resurrection by bribing these soldiers. You know, this Jesus, whom they rejected and caused to be crucified, he was alive. All their money and lives would never change this true fact. Never. And then there's the irony that the guards who were there to prevent a resurrection hoax and deception became part of the biggest hoax and deception the world has ever seen. They formed a plan, giving a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you're to say, his disciples coming by, coming by night stole him away while we were asleep. A large sum of money, yeah. yeah. Which would be needed because a Roman soldier sleeping on the job, yeah, it doesn't go together. That could mean sheer death for him. But what choice did they have? They're going to go around and tell people, these angels, uh, they rolled away the stone. What? Who's going to believe them? They knew they'd be on their own if they didn't buy into this lie. Or so they thought. So they told the story as to why they were there in the first place. The disciples came by night and stole them while we were sleeping. And yet this is interesting. How is it possible for them to know the disciples stole the body if they were sleeping? <laughs> Anyone with a brain could figure that out. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You just said you're sleeping. Yeah? Why do you know the disciples stole the body away? Oh, I don't know. They just told me to sleep there. And notice verse 14. Uh, if it comes to the governor's ears... If he hears of this, if it's heard upon the governor, if Pilate found out about their dereliction, sleeping on the job, we will win him over. And Numerica Center says, keep you out of trouble. Literally, we will make you stay out of trouble. We'll make you stay safe. The religious leaders promised to protect them from harm. Uh, and maybe they would bribe Pilate too. Mm-hmm. They would keep the soldiers out of trouble. Pilate was most likely in Caesarea. So the probability of him hearing about this was slim, uh, but maybe through the centurion that was there, who knows. 
But if he did, they said, as one commentator put it like this, quote, we will persuade him and you will be without a care. No problem. Verse 15. And taking the money, they did as they had been instructed. They did what they were told. If on their own they'd be laughed at, or at least so they thought. Or they face a death penalty, at least so they thought. And notice what Matthew says here. At the end of verse 15, the lies circulated. And this story was widely spread among Jews to this day. That hoax had continued even up to the day that Matthew was writing his gospel. It was around the 40s, maybe 50s, early 50s. It was the first gospel to be written. And it was still circulating even in the second century. I told you that last week, Justin Martyr said Jews still claimed, well, his disciples came and stole his body. Everybody knows that. Yet nobody could produce a body. And Jesus appeared to many. The fact of the matter is only a person with the preconceived notion of doubt and skepticism will dismiss the truth of the resurrection. Only a person with the preconceived notion of doubt, with the preconceived notion of skepticism, they will dismiss this truth. They will dismiss the evidence that's right there before them. This is not our imagination. Jesus is not some ghost. This was a real historical event. There's no other truth and there's no other God but Jesus, God the Son. He is the Lord, the resurrected Lord. Only a person with the preconceived notion of doubt and skepticism will dismiss the truth of the resurrection and only a person called by God who looks at the historical, factual evidence will embrace the truth of the resurrection. She or he will really embrace the gloriously raised Lord Jesus. He is the glorious Christ and the response will be they'll bow down every single time. Don't believe the lies about this false resurrection that Jesus, was, his body was stolen or something like that. Don't believe those lies. Worship Christ the Lord who truly did resurrect from the dead, conquering death, sin, and hell. And because he resurrected with the resurrection of Jesus, I told you I'd put this up for you again, these truths. He was raised by the Father. He completed our salvation. He modeled the biblical theme of sacrificial living. He gives hope to our own resurrection and our own reward. He will come to judge us all. He is totally victorious. So the only other response, believe Him, obey Him, worship Him. That's the only response. With your very life, bow down and worship Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Did you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you with humility. We want our response to be of worship like these women. 
We want our response to be obedience. We want our response to be true belief. So we keep turning from sin, we keep obeying. We keep turning from sin, we keep trusting. We keep turning from sin and worshiping. We worship you. And we pray that our worship would not just be on a Sunday, but our worship would be throughout this week and our interaction with family, interaction with friends at work, in our neighborhoods, different people, that there be worship there and there will be a speaking of all these things to those that need to hear the truth of the gospel of the resurrected Lord. That we would live this grace and we would speak this grace. Because you're mighty to save. You've saved us. I encourage you, if you would, please take this time. Or just give you some time, moments of silence for you to think through the word and what we've seen here in Matthew's gospel. Maybe reading through notes, maybe reading the passage. But let your mind ponder and let your mind be filled with scripture truth and gospel truth. Set knowledge not to puff up, but knowledge that will bring us to love the Lord Jesus Christ and love each other. So fill your mind with truth. Just these few moments, then we'll sing. But just these few moments between you and the Lord. Fill your mind with gospel truth, please.